Hey, thanks so much for listening to this message. My name is Jason, and I'm one of the ministers here at the Madison Church of Christ. It's our hope and prayer that the teaching you hear today will bless your life and draw you closer to God. If you're ever in the Madison area, we'd love for you to stop by and study the Bible with us on Sundays at 5 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you have questions about the Bible or want to know more about the Madison Church, you can find us online at madisonchurch.org. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast as well as our sermons podcast, Madison Church of Christ Sermons. Thanks again for stopping by. I hope this study is a blessing to you. When I was growing up, I thought that I was going to be a surgeon. I know that's hilarious to some of you. (laughs) But I, I still am fascinated by the human body, okay? And so when I see passages like these where it talks about how we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and the concept that God would have known us in the womb, the, the idea that God could count our days, that He, that he has us you know, in His awareness, that, that's pretty fascinating to me. And uh, so I love passages like this, Psalm 139, uh, Psalm 22, On you I was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Uh, just the idea that God is aware of those little ones uh, and that life is there in the womb is, is fascinating. But what's even more fascinating to me is how the body is just so complicated and how it's just so, you know, wrought with design and those kinds of things. It's really, if you really just stop and let the body be, you know, a, a lesson to itself, you're going to see a lot of complications, but you're going to see a lot of things that are just so finely tuned that life can happen. It's a pretty amazing thing. And I, I don't have, you know, a degree in apologetics and those kinds of things, but I'm just captivated by the human body and especially how it works and functions and how it develops. So we're going to be talking a good bit tonight about how that happens from a neurological perspective. We're going to talk, not that, I'm a, not that I am in any way an expert on this. We're going to talk to it. I'm going to be reading the slides because I can't possibly remember all this stuff. But I want us to kind of look at what's happening with our teens. You know, last week we, we talked about the importance of, of, of sharing with our children some of these things at an early stage. And it's kind of shocking, isn't it, to, to hear even among our teens the things that they're struggling with. Uh, we know they're great kids. We know they're doing great things. We know that they are spiritually focused. And yet they are still struggling with some of the same things. And our parents do a fantastic job here. So it, it reminds me that there's not an age too early for us to begin having conversations with our children about the differences in boys and girls, about their desires, about how they're growing and how, what makes them different and those kinds of things. I think it's really important that we do that. But you're going to get, you know, to a certain age where their knowledge and what they're flooded with is going to be, I don't say eclipsing what you know, but it's just new terms and new ways to think about things, and it comes at us so quick. So it's important that we stay really connected and involved in their lives. Look at their phones and see what they're, they're going through. Look at uh, some of the things that they're interested in watching. Watch it closely. Watch it with them. See what they're going through and see what they're exposing themselves to. Um, I would encourage everybody to do that. And, and you may say, well, that's an invasion of my kid's privacy. Well, it's not their privacy. You, you, they're your kid. You still, you still are their leader and their owner, okay? And I say that respectfully, uh, not in that you own them. They're gods. 
but God has given you a stewardship over them. And so I think it's really important that you feel that responsibility to keep checking in with them and watching what they're taking in. Because trust me, whether you know it or not, they're being exposed to things, whether it be on the playground, whether it be in the classroom, whether it be on the television or online. They're being exposed to things. And so last week we talked about all those struggles that our teens have gone through specifically. Uh, We didn't put any names and faces to it, but we did say these are our children, not some children off in North Dakota somewhere. These are our children that go through these things. And I think that's important to help us realize that the threats are here. You know, the devil is real, temptations are real, and we need to be ever aware of that. So let's get into some of this a little bit. We talked about the changes that they've already gone through. I'm not going to go through these. Uh, These are some of the things we already talked about as they get into that preteen and their bodies begin to develop and, and those kinds of things. We talked about all these last week, so I won't get into that too much. Uh, but all of those things that are changing are, are bringing about this, this kind of a sexual awakening in their bodies. And in doing so, it's sort of a challenge for them, in, even in their identity, because things are happening so quickly that life becomes a little bit more confusing. Uh, things that were once settled in their mind are suddenly not, and so they're looking for answers in all these different places. So, again, we want to help them understand what God's parameters are, for them. So, could y'all even read that? All right. So, this is super fascinating to me. You're going to be bored to tears for just a few moments, but it's okay. I want us to understand what's happening in the, in the mind and in the body of a child who is going through these teenage years. Okay, now some of these things are happening ongoing with all of us, but it's much less demen- or much more diminished as we get older. But in this fire of teenagehood, there's a lot of things that we can pick up from this. First of all, what does the hypothalamus do? Does anybody know? Any, any medical people in here? Well, it does a lot of things. But one of the things that it does is it connects the central nervous system, which is our, the brain and the, the neurological system, right, uh, to the endocrine system, okay? So what that means is all these chemicals and all these hormones and everything that's flowing through our body, the hypothalamus is that go-between between the brain and what's taking place, you know, to keep us balanced and those kinds of things. So I can't read that off that screen, so I'm going to turn around. I'll be facing this way. We'll just look at it together. So what's happening here is the hypothalamus releases what's called gonadotropin-releasing hormone. All right? And what it does, it does this every hour on the hour of puberty. Okay, so... Every hour, there is a flushing of this chemical that goes through the body, all right? And it triggers the pituitary gland to produce gonadotrophins, which are two things, luteinizing hormone, follicle-stimulating hormones. Now, what do those things do? Well, the luteinizing hormones, they stimulate the Leydig cells, I don't know what those are, to start producing testosterone in the male and estrogen in the female. Now, what's interesting is it knows which of those to do. Isn't that fascinating? You know, we have people with, with, uh, who are struggling in their identity sometimes, but it's interesting that the body is not confused about those things, okay? Uh, and the follicle stimulating, this is the one that stimulates the Sertoli cells, and it produces sperm in the male and eggs in the female. So you see the male testicles, female ovaries down there. Male testicles produce sperm and testosterone. You see that? The ovaries, an egg and estrogen, and progesterone, 
Uh, and these hormones are what hasten this whole process. And because of it, there, there's lots of other things that are happening as well. You'll notice the thyroid up top. If you go all the way across to the right, it produces thyroxine, and it does it in copious amounts, like big amounts, where that, uh, the metabolism begins to speed up. And in doing so, it creates the ability for them to grow and to stretch and, and uh, for their bones to develop and those kinds of things. The thyroxine combines with somatotrophins. How am I doing, Wesley? All right, through the pituitary gland. <laughs> and what happens is those things combine together and it accelerates that bone growth and all of the other things that take place in the body. So then on top of that, you've got these androgens that are produced by the adrenal gland. And they uh, produce estrogen, progesterone, and they are the sex steroids that trigger the body to produce even higher levels of testosterone in man, estrogen in women. Okay, all that being said, okay, the point I'm trying to make is this process is happening nonstop in their body. Okay, and all of it is meant to bring about catastrophic change to their body as they're going from a child into a full-fledged adult capable of reproducing. So it's an intense ordeal. And in fact, a lot of this takes place on a much accelerated pace while they sleep. So you'll see this sometimes when your child and you get, when they're our age, they'll stay up till about 9.30 or 9.45 or so, and you'll look over and they're like, Ooh, and they're watching a show or they're finishing their homework or whatever, like, oh, man, I'm so tired. And then in 12 minutes later, it's like all of a sudden, they're like, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's like crazy because they now have this burst of energy. Why? Because all of these things are being flushed through their system and it sparks an event, right? So if they're not sleeping, so that can be applied to their growth and their stimulation. And that way, what happens is it gives them so, almost like an adrenaline rush and now they're up for their second wind. So they may be up till midnight, all right? So that's why sleep is really important in all this. Okay, so talk a little bit about these things. This is just interesting information to me. Ten billion neurons, um, which are the components of the brain here. Dendrites, axons, synapse. What that's talking about is these little fingers that shoot out these impulses and these messages. It's a very fascinating thing. There's a gap in between called a synapse and those messages. Those neurochemicals are, are sent across. It translates, and then that, that message goes throughout the body and does what it's supposed to do. There are 100 billion support cells. Hold together, the neurons eliminate waste, aiding growth, developing of neurons. All right, so neurochemicals are the fluids of the brain that help transmission of those impulse messages and that aid in the release of neurohormones. Again, just interesting things here. So why do we talk about these things? Well, one of those neurochemicals is dopamine. And it is the thing that releases this emotional satisfaction of reward, okay? It's, it gives a sense of well-being, excitement. And it's, it's in these risk and reward type situations, all right? So whenever a person accomplishes something, there's a, you know, the, the body signals, hey, good job. And so you get this feeling of accomplishment, and it's a great thing. It's like when a person gets up out of bed and on their own decides to go for a little bit of a jog. And you don't hurt yourself when it's over with, but you come back and you're like, oh, that was good. I feel good about myself. And like my day started off better. Your body is being flushed with this dopamine, and it begins to make you feel better about yourself. All right. But this dopamine can be addictive. That's how 
You get into these ultra marathons by running a little bit. Oh, I just feel so good, you know, and then they want to run 200 miles somewhere up a mountain. You know, who does that? Anyway, but it can be addictive. It can create a rush. But, and this is important, these neurochemicals are values neutral. Now, what do I mean by values neutral? Anybody? It's just mechanical. It's, it's, not. it's just the function of, it does, it's not about whether it's right or wrong. It's just, this happened, I feel accomplished, boom. I get that reward for it. Okay, let's keep moving. I promise we will. Oh, that is it. Sorry. All right, so these are necessary for adolescents as they are risking becoming more uh, independent. Uh, as they become a little bit more aware of what's going on. So, you know, if I were to get a new job on my own merit, you know, I get the dopamine. But the same thing happens with premarital sex. Uh, they, it's not values-based. There's no, this is not the part that brings about the guilt. This is the part that brings about the euphoria. And so um, in married couples, it can make them especially hungry for one another. So, you know, there you go. If you're married, you know, enjoy that. All right, so what I want to get to, and this is kind of where I'm headed with most of this, is there are things that are referred to as, like, emotional glue, okay? And there's a book out called Hooked, Hooked, I think it is. Uh, And it's about what happens physiologically when, when two people have sex and what it does to them as far as their connection with one another. And so this is one of those things where these chemicals are important in this process, Okay, so there's a bonding neurochemical that's referred to as emotional called oxytocin. Okay, how many of you women have ever heard of Pitocin? Pitocin is what? It brings about labor, doesn't it? It's, it's, a, it's our manufactured version of this chemical called oxytocin. And uh, what it is, it's, it's a chemical that's released in four main occurrences. Now look at this. Intimate touching, hugging, kissing, petting builds bond and trust and connection. Sexual intercourse, the onset of labor, okay, that's what your body does when, it's, when it goes into labor, and it causes those contractions, and, it, and in the process it also connects the, the mother with the child. And then in breastfeeding, nipple stimulation produces the milk flow, deepens the connection between mother and child. Um, I don't know how else to say this, but if you've witnessed this, men, with your wives, you know what I'm talking about. As that child is nursing, there's like this sweet, sweet connection that takes place between the mother and the baby. It's a really a, it's a very precious thing to, to watch and to see that kind of closeness that's being developed, that connection that's there. And so this chemical is flushing over her body, drawing her closer to that child and that sense of connection to them. All right, so those are the four main times that, that oxytocin is, um, is, is, is flushed through the body. So for the guys, the opposite of that or the, the counter to that is vasopressin. All right, and um, it is mostly brought on by intimate touch. So it, it is the kind of thing that becomes a little addictive. It's, we want the repeated touch of those things. We want that experience again and again. And it makes us feel connected to the person on a physical level. Okay, for women, 
y'all know this, they're on the emotional connection side of things. We're on the physical connection. We both grow in the same, those other things as well, but the initial part of it is that emotional connection for the girls, and for the guys, it's the physical connection. Some of y'all are laughing at me already. All right, so, <clears throat> so here's the thing. When two people have this experience in sex, what happens is these chemicals are flushed through their body and they're drawn together. And really and truly, when you think about it, isn't this sort of the way God designed things? What did he say? One man, one woman. They become one flesh. You know, and then Jesus goes on to say later, what therefore God has joined together, let no man tear apart or pull asunder or tear asunder. So the idea here is that this is supposed to bond people together. But what happens when there are multiple relationships like that, multiple connections? Well, that initial one is the one that bonds that person to that person. But then if they have more and multiple partners in different places, what happens is it becomes a painful separation from that other person. And over time, the, the tearing apart and tearing apart of that, that connection means that we lose the ability to have some intimacy. It creates a little bit more dynamics and problems there. But also, um, vasopressin bonds the father to his children after birth. This is fascinating to me. So a father sees his baby, his child, and immediately the body is drawn to that, that child and connected with him. It's pretty, pretty, pretty fascinating. All right, so we talked about those bonds. When they get uh, created, it's incredibly painful to detach from that person. So like when you see people who have been married for a long time and then they, they, they go through a divorce, there's still that connection. There's still that pain that comes from that. Uh, and so I was talking about this. The more bonds that are made, the easier it is to detach from the previous partners and creates a desire for the chemical release of dopamine over the bonding of the sexual release of oxytocin and vasopressin. In other words, we're, we're looking to find that feeling in other ways, not on a connection level, but just that, that good feeling. And so it, it causes us to look beyond the connection that we can have with our spouse and look for that feeling in other ways. <clears throat> All right, so this is where it gets into, okay, that's what's happening, all right? That's what's happening in our body. But we have to make a difference between what our brains are doing and what our minds are doing, right? So our brains are the part of the central nervous system, but our minds are the things that work independently, the decisions that we make, the discernment, that kind of analytical thinking is, is something that works completely different and separate from this system. So the reasoning part of our brain can help us overcome pitfalls uh, by giving us the ability to establish our own like set of rules, controls, parameters, those kinds of things. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks a little bit about this. Pilty brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. And don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So just from a Christian perspective, one of the things that we want to do to separate ourselves from the rest of mankind is that we are not just driven by our appetites. And I think we can be guilty of that sometimes, uh, 
because we just become a little bit self-absorbed at times. And so I want us to really think about this with regard to the decisions that we're making. And I'm, I'm sharing all this with you because I think it's important that our children begin to understand what's taking place in their body and how these things can connect them with someone, how it can be disruptive to their intimacy later, how it can hurt them in their decision-making process and bring about guilt and those kinds of things as well. So Philippians 4 reminds us, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, commendable, any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen to me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. All right, so here's a guy in prison talking to them about a lot of different things. And one of the things that he reminds them of is that we need to have this ability that even in the midst of our circumstances to rise above that and to begin putting our minds on things that bring about peace, bring about joy, bring about like contentment, bring about this sense of, of a, you know, a, a relationship with God and those kinds of things. All right. So knowing that the brain and the mind are two different things and they function apart from each other, I wanted to go into the Scriptures and just find the passages, or at least the words, and the Greek words that dealt with sexual sin. This is not all of them. This is just kind of some of the main ones that you're going to see in the Scriptures. And I wanted to do it so we could look at it and sort of draw some some connections to maybe what we're going through today and what we're experiencing. So these words are words that we're going to find scripture. So I'd like for us to take these. If I can get someone to take Galatians 5, 19. In fact, Galatians 5, 19 through 22. Would someone be willing to read that for me? Just give me a nod or something that you got it. Anybody? All right. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, let me have someone read 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Who's got it? Okay. Thank you. Let me have someone get Romans 13, 13. Let me get someone to do 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5 there, those two passages. Who's got it? Okay, you got it. Let me get someone to get uh, 1 Peter 4, 1 through 3. Got it? Okay. Matthew 5, 28. You got it? Thank you, sir. Uh and let me get someone to do 1 Corinthians six eighteen through 20. That's another one that's not on here, but we're going to talk about it a little bit. Okay, thank you. All right. So in Galatians 5, it's talking about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. So where are we in this one? Someone read verse chapter 5, verse 19, and read through 22. All right, thank you. All right, so one of the words that we want to pick up in there is the word porneia. And 
<clears throat> there are lots of ways to look at that word. I think probably y'all have heard it your whole life. What what do we get from the word porneia? Pornography, right? Yeah, we've all heard that. Uh, specifically, this is talking about sexual immorality. And it could be a lot of different things. So you'll notice up there on the list, there's any illicit premarital sexual intercourse. And that includes adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, bestiality, incest. All of those things are grouped in under that that one word of sexual immorality. And so, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, read that for us. All right, so, you know, whenever we see a passage like that that enumerates for us the number of things that will cause us problems and separation from God, we really need to take notice. And in all of these things, guys, we're in a world today that, that looks past the wrongness or right or wrongness of these things and just goes with the flow, okay? Um, you know, everybody is told to pursue their own truth. Everybody is told to make, do whatever makes them happy, to follow their hearts. And so what happens is they begin to do whatever it is that makes them happy, and that's very pleasure-oriented. And so if we're not careful, and if we use that terminology with our children, you know, they're going to think that everything out there is on the table for their enjoyment. And so when we see words like this where it talks about things that are going to keep us from inheriting what God has planned for us, then we need to make certain that we, we, we put a note there. It's a warning, okay? In a lot of ways in the Scriptures, we've seen this in the book of Hebrews in our study. There's lots of exhortations, okay? And those exhortations mean like encouragement, you know, like helping identify the direction that you need to go. But there's also, there's a sense in which those exhortations are as a warning to help us avoid some pitfalls that are going to be there for us too. So when we see this word and it says sexual immorality and those kinds of things are going to keep us from enjoying the fruits of heaven, then we need to take note and help explain to our children that all of these things are grouped in under that one thing. You will hear from time to time people say, well, Jesus did not address homosexuality. Okay, and, and you'll hear that by people sometimes. And I want you to understand he did address it by, by listing all of these things under sexual immorality, by, by addressing it in the sense of a conversation of all sexual perversions. He addressed all of those things that fall outside of what was given to us by God as that relationship for a husband and a wife to enjoy. So Romans thirteen thirteen. Anybody? Okay, so we saw the definition. How does it apply to us? Okay, this is fixating on overtly sexual situations. You know, books and movies like Fifty Shades of Grey, different things that are purely uh, driven by that desire for sex and that fulfillment. There's lots of other things. That's just an example. There's probably a, a ton of those kinds of things. But I think sometimes with regard to our children, there are avenues that we need to be really careful of. Um, Prom is one of those things 
that can be a real big downfall for your children. Uh, I know of, heard of, in, in fact, even as recent as 10 years ago, was hearing that, that parents were going and getting their children hotel rooms for them to hang out with their friends and for each of them to have their private time. Not here, not here at Madison. I'm talking about people outside of the church here. But I just, in the sense that there's a certain thing that was expected for them and really just sort of permissively said, hey, we're just going to provide a safe place for them to do what they want to do. And that's, that's one of those things that, that we can build up in our minds that certain events and certain things require certain rewards and we just have to be careful that we're not pushing them into these kind of sexual situations that are really dangerous for them. Um, all right, let's keep, let's keep moving. There's another word here, akatharsia, uh, which means uncleanness and impurity. We've already read Galatians 5:19. What does Colossians 3:5 say? Anybody? Okay, First Thessalonians four seven and five twenty two. For God, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. And abstain from every form of evil. Okay, so this is the word that is used there in those passages, and what is if you really look at the definition? And by the way, I want to say this because I think it is important. Sometimes there are words that are not one to one definitions, okay, from the, from the original language to what we know today. For example, we'll get into homosexuality in a few moments. Well, there are two words that are used in that passage that deal with that. Homosexuality, that term came up much later, but that's the English equivalent to those two terms together, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a few moments. Uh, but, so I've tried to take what I understood about these Greek words and apply them into a definition. So, utterly and shamelessly immoral living. Impure motives is what this akatharsia is. And how it applies is it's promoting immorality, supporting places that, that bear all or promote loose sexual living. Like, there are lots of ways out there that we can just push that uncleanness, that impurity into our lives. And so it's good to have our kids avoid those things. All right, let's move on to this next word. I, I think this is uh, one that really needs a good bit of attention. Asalgia. Uh, sensuality is the, is the word that we will use for it. But let me hear Mark 7, 22 and 1 Peter 4, 1 through 3. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, covet, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Okay, some of the same words that we've already seen, but then there's this sensuality Put in there as well. All right, First Peter four, one through three. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself in the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passion, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties. Okay, it groups a lot of those things together. And so you'll see in this definition, outrageous acts 
or manners, okay? Something that's considered to be off-putting, something that's considered to be beyond the line of appropriateness, okay? Now, we would have a line that's way back here. The world would even have a line that's here. But this even goes kind of beyond the mainstream line of thinking, all right? So, filthy words, indecent bodily movements, unchaste handling of males and females, sexually unrestrained, arousing sexual desire, expressing lust. So, some of the, how this applies in these situations you know, oral sex, wandering hands, masturbation, using the F word, dirty jokes, behaviors that, that create kind of a shock factor, something that's just beyond that approach. Th- th- what it is address- addressing and talking about is in these idolatrous worlds, so much of what they would do would get into these frivolous parties where there was, it called revelries and drinking parties and those kinds of things where alcohol was involved and, and where they began to be inebriated. And so the celebration was just how far these things could go. And so this, this terminology, when it talks about sensuality, it's, it's one of those things that's like sort of a shocking situation where you look around and all of these people are engaged in this. So, you know, very, very out there type behavior, all right? And, of course... All of these things can lead to that if we lose our ability to discern what's right and what's wrong. So we just have to be careful about it. All right, so the word for lust here. Matthew 5, 28. I think we've already used Romans 13, 13. This is... Okay, all right, this is a a great passage. Jesus is sort of raising the bar, right? Uh, You weren't supposed to have adultery. You weren't supposed to commit adultery. But he says, let me take it to the next level, which is the heart aspect of it, which is you are seeking some kind of satisfaction in someone else. Even if it's the appearance or the desire or the taking your mind to a place that you shouldn't go, it's that idea of placing your mind on that other person in a sexual way to desire them, to want them. Okay? And Jesus says, well, hey, you've, you've already committed adultery with that person in your heart. Like, step back, it's not just about the act, it's about you and your heart desiring that. And so he's cautioning us against that. So, if it's craving desire for what is forbidden, to set the heart upon sexually. So, how it applies, fixating on uncovered bodies, okay? So, guys, we can, uh, we're visual, right? And so, sometimes going to the beach can be a really, really tough thing for us. Uh, When you see the bathing suits and what people are wearing, what they're not wearing... Uh, it can be a struggle for us because we're very visual like that. For the women, it can be that way too. And I'm not, not taking them out of this equation as well. Uh, but for guys especially because of the way we're, we're built and the way our, our desires and our minds think, that can be incredibly difficult for us. So we have to guard ourselves against those kinds of things. So, you know, we can get on these Instagram reels that, that have something that's funny or that's whatever, and, but there's some little aspect of that funny reel that has some kind of sexual innuendo. And if we camp out there too long, what's going to happen is it's going to keep feeding us stuff like that over and over and over again. Have to be really careful that we don't fall into that trap. All right. Let's move on to adultery. Uh, We've already talked about these two passages. The idea here is that we would act upon uh, sexually with a person who is already married or someone who is not our spouse. So, again, these are things that, that our mind can take us. And these things, by the way, they don't, they don't happen on a chance meeting. 
They happen out of investment, time spent, conversation, flirtatiousness. Uh, you know, if, if, we're, if we're not providing for the needs of our spouse, then they can be in a workplace and someone can just give them a little bit of attention, which is very flattering, which makes them want to be around that person because they make them feel better about themselves. And we can set ourselves up for affairs by not taking care of our, our spouses at home. All right. So then this last one, and we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up with this, is these two words, malakos and arsenakotes. All right. And these are words that we get our English equivalent, homosexuality. Uh, let's read, is that 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10? Yes. Let's read, uh, yeah, I think that's the one. Read it again. Okay, so in this text, all right, in 1 Corinthians 6, if, in fact, everybody, if you'll just turn your Bible there real quickly. I'd like to hear if someone has a division. The ESV says homosexuality. What, what other translations are out there when it's talking about these sexual sins? What are, what are the things that are listed there? Anybody have a different translation? Sodomites. Okay, sodomites. Effeminate. Effeminate, okay. All right, those are some of the words that are mentioned. What, what, anybody else have different translations? Okay. Anything else? Okay, so let me explain the detail in which God deals with this. And this is, this is important because I know there's, there's lots of arguments going on right now about, about homosexuality. And I'm not going to deal with all of those tonight. There may be a, a shot at us you know, going through some of those details the last night, where if there are questions that you guys have that, that we can answer, then, then we might do that. Um, but I wanted you to understand that God goes into the detail here in the, in the Greek text to specify two different participants in a same-sex sexual relationship. Okay, He talks about the recipient, which is the malakos word. It's the, the one that would be referred to as effeminate, the one who receives... Uh, that sexual gratification, while the other one, our Senecotes, is the one who is the aggressor, the, the men, what did you say? Men who have sex with men. Literally, this word, our Senecotes, is, is a compound word. It's about mankind, and it's like a bed, literally. It, it's a mat. And the idea is that it, it, was, it was specified that men... And, and this was sort of an outrageous thought, but that men would be in bed with men. And so when you look at this, it not only addresses the fact that, that it, it, it condemns this, this homosexual behavior, but it also specifies that both of those parties are guilty. Both of those parties are guilty of that sin. And so, again, 
this is something for our, our children. And I know not six years old, this is not where we go with them, okay? But this is something that we need to just guard them against. Help them understand that these words that God is talking about that keep us from enjoying the fruits of heaven, keep us from enjoying the relationship that God wants us to, that these things can be harmful to us uh, from a spiritual perspective. Um, and so, what does it say here? It says, a male who submits his body to unnatural lewdness, preoccupied with sex and indecency, and one who lies with a male as with a female. That's the definition of it. So, anything that, that uh, and this is where we have to be careful, because right now, everywhere you look, this is being glorified, it's being pushed, it's being uh, portrayed as an alternate lifestyle, it's being pushed as something that we should all be accepting of and, and getting over, and there are a lot of things that are said about it. But just looking at the Scriptures, and I want to remind all of us that the Christian life is about submissiveness to what God is asking us to be, no matter what it may be. Uh, and so when we get into sexuality, a lot of people want to focus on homosexuality. But the reality is there's this, this is all under that big umbrella of sexual immorality. And all of those things are condemned by God, by Christ. And so I just, you know, as we, as we get to talk on the level with our children, and I want to tell you, I'm, I'm at that point with my two oldest that we have these conversations very much as any adults would that that conversation is comfortable, that we explain things. I, I go through these kinds of things with them so they understand. I do that because I want them to be equipped to understand what God's expectation for them is. So let's pray about that, and I'll let you guys go, and we'll get back started next week. Father, thank you for these people in this room. Thank you so much for their desire to do the right things. I pray, Father, that, that you will ignite in all of us a desire to follow you with all of our heart, and that... These things that we see from a sexual perspective, Father, as we're just looking at those things that, that are uh, regarding sexuality, that, that we recognize that you've given us this beautiful gift of the sexual relationship in the marriage. But we also recognize, Father, that that was meant to be a special blessing in that environment. And so help us to steer our children clear, at least to help them understand the wrongness of things that are anti what God has set up for us. So help us to, to have the courage in the right time, in the right way. We pray, Father, for your wisdom and knowing when that time is, but that we help our children understand there are certain things that are acceptable in your sight and things that are condemning. And help us, Father, not just to avoid those things, but to fall in love with your will in our life. Help us to fall in love with your guidance. Help us to choose your guidance and to be blessed as a result of that obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.